Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. You follow along as I read. The Word of God says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake, and they launched forth. But as they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep, and there came down a stormy a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water that they obey him. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this account in the scripture. And in this chapter, we find four such accounts that show us the power of faith and teach us about fear. And we live in a fearful day where uh, the powers that be try to even stoke fear and create it to uh, make people, to manipulate people, to make people do what they want. But Lord, we as Christians should be immune to that. Uh, above all, we should fear Thee. We should understand uh, how fear works. We should understand the power of faith. And truly, we should live differently than the lost during these troubled times. And I pray You'd help our church to be strong. Teach us a little bit about ourselves this evening. Uh, to know the warning signs. And then to exercise faith at every opportunity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. In Luke chapter 8, God gives us four separate stories that discuss fear. Uh, We cannot let fear control us. Everybody in the room today, you must decide, I will not let fear control me. I will not live in fear. I will not make decisions in fear. I will choose to walk by faith. The Bible even says we should walk by faith and not by sight. You know, oftentimes fear comes by what we see and what we hear. Well, the Bible says there's something more powerful than what you see and what you hear, and that is faith. And so faith can override all the evidences to the contrary. We're not going to be okay. Faith says, no, we're going to be okay because God's in control. What we see in here can say, well, I ought to do this, and I need to do this, and I don't really have any choice. Be careful when you feel like you don't have any choice but to do wrong. Because I promise you there's always another choice. God always makes a way for you to do what's right. Sometimes in counseling, someone will come to me and say, I've got to make a bad decision. I've I've got two bad decisions. And they'll say, I either have to do this and I have to do this. And they're both bad. and And I'll say, well, have you considered that there might be a third option? Because Satan has a way of blinding us by fear, making us feel like we're hemmed in, like we have to do wrong. But no, you don't ever have to do wrong. You can choose to live right. And so we can't let fear control us. And in this chapter, we learn four results of fear. And if we can learn what these results of fear are, we we can learn what fear does in us then we can start to see it when it comes ahead of time and make choices, reject that fear, reject those negative emotions, not make terrible decisions, and we can choose to act in faith regardless of how we feel. Amen? 
And so let's dive into this thing. I think we would all agree that fear complicates things. Fear makes things complicated. Fear can make common activities difficult. Right now, the fear of going to the store. Who would have thought going to the store could be such a traumatic event? Make sure you got on your mask. Wipe down all the surfaces. Remember in the beginning, they, they were t- telling you that like the virus could live on surfaces for 347 years. And if you touched a surface that had a virus, you were going to get it, and it was going to... I mean, the, 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 the fear... Uh, who would have thought going to the gas station could be so difficult? Many people today afraid to step out of the house. Just daily activities. Uh, and not just we're not just talking about the virus. Some people live in fear. They're afraid of crowds. They're afraid to go to church because there's too many people. They're afraid to give the tithe and offering because they don't have enough money. You see, fear makes every easy choice difficult. We know what God says, we know what we should do, but fear complicates it and now makes it a big ordeal just to try to do what's right. Fear makes easy decisions hard. Fear can paralyze you to inaction. How many times do we know we should do something but we don't because of fear? How many times do we know we should witness to that person? We should give that person a track. We, we should tell that person about Jesus, but we don't because of fear. But on the other side of the, the coin, sometimes fear moves us to do foolish things. While sometimes fear keeps you from doing anything, sometimes fear makes you do dumb stuff. I mean, things you would never do, but you feel like you have to do something. And so you just do something, and you end up getting yourself in more trouble than if you hadn't done anything. See, fear is a button that Satan can push in your life. It's a lever that he can pull. It's a steering wheel that you put in his hands so that he can guide you. And as we've talked recently, we have to learn to take that steering wheel out of his hands. We have to learn to remove that lever. Satan cannot control us by fear unless we let him. Some of the old Midwestern farmer's wisdom that I often find myself saying is I'll tell people, don't jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Well, it's hot here. I got to do something. Yeah, but it's hotter in the flame than it is in the pan. And so don't jump out of the frying pan into the fire. I've had many counseling sessions over the years to help people overcome fear. And I mean everything from germs to people to God himself to the unknown future As we've talked about, fear can take any form. I mean, you can just be afraid of anything. And once, by the way, once you let fear come in your life, it multiplies. You won't just be afraid of one thing. It'll be afraid of another thing and then of another thing and then of another thing. You ever meet people that they have all these phobias? Not just one, but they just have a whole host of them. They don't just have one fear. Now they're afraid of everything. How does that happen? Because if you let fear reside in your heart, it'll multiply. And fear upon fear upon fear upon fear. And so in these counseling sessions, helping people to overcome fear, it's important to help the fearful person separate reality, the reality of a situation, from the irrational results of fear. So every decision has consequences, yes? But not necessarily the consequences you fear. 
Life has danger. But not necessarily the danger you fear. And so helping someone separate the facts of reality from what they feel like, what fear makes them feel like might happen, is vital. And we've got to help them separate that so they can see the truth and then they can see their fear and then they can begin to deal with their fear. Uh, consider this scenario. Let's, let's say we take a two-by-four and we just uh, take two-by-fours and we just run them down the center of the aisle. Two-by-four piece of wood. Um, about two inches by about four inches. And we'll say, okay, who's brave enough to walk down the two-by-fours? You say, well, pastor, it's, it's no big deal. And so you just come and walk down the two-by-fours. But let's take those two-by-fours and raise them five feet above the ground. And now who's brave enough to walk the two-by-four? You know, the same people that walked it on the ground would now say, oh, I don't know about that. Let's say we take the same two-by-four and we lift it 50 feet above the ground. And a lot of people would say, not me. Now, wait a minute. It's the same two-by-four. The fact is, if you can walk across it on the ground, you can walk across it anywhere, everything being equal. But the fear of the consequences is what changes our mind. See, when you're walking on a two-by-four laying on the ground and it's two inches off the ground, if you fail, it's no big deal. You just trip, and oh, there we go, and we laugh, and oh, we trip, and there we go, and we laugh. And, you know, Brother Pash is walking around like a drunken man. Uh, and uh, I don't know why I always pick on you. I've got to pick on somebody else. And, uh, uh, stum- and, and we're all laughing. But wait a minute, five feet above the ground, now if you fall off, you can sprain something. Now you can break something. The stakes are a little higher, aren't they? But you put it 50 feet above the ground, and now if you fall off, you're dead. And it's the perception and th- th- that fear changes in us. What Satan will do is he will take a common everyday situation that you could easily navigate and he will begin to raise the stakes in your heart and mind. He will begin to make you feel like the consequences of failure are so great and so devastating to where it can either paralyze us from doing anything or we just run away. And the two-by-four illustration is a, is a foolish illustration of everyday life. Things that people can do every single day, fear will keep them from doing it. And we must understand that when we feel this fear coming in our lives, once, once, you, know, once you know what fear tries to do, then you can say, wait a minute, that's fear. As we've talked about in a previous message, there are times when you should be afraid, right? God gave you fear. I mean, if you're fearless, you're probably not going to live very long. If you just have no fear, you have no common sense, uh, you're probably not going to live very long. You're walking down a trail and you see a copperhead, don't play with it, right? Uh, You're you're out west and you see a, a rattlesnake rattling, don't go up and, and pick it up like it's a little Play-Doh snake, right? I remember one time I was a kid and the Lord protected us 
we found these worms out in the backyard. But they were kind of big and thick worms. They were about this long and had kind of thick little heads. And we, we got them up and we put them in a glass jar and we were playing with the jar. And, and I went in and told my stepdad, I said, hey, we found these, these little worms. And he said, that's a nest of copperhead babies, poisonous snakes. The truth is the baby ones are more poisonous than the adults sometimes. And I think about that sometimes, and I'm like, here I am, some little dweeb, you know, out playing in the dirt. And I'm like close to death, and God's like, i got to protect this guy. You know, he's so dumb. I just have to protect him from killing himself. And uh, God protected us. How many times do you almost have a fatal accident? How many times do you, do you almost make a mistake? No, fear is good. You know, fear keeps you from jumping off high places of high buildings. Fear keeps you from driving recklessly and all these things. And so, but we can't let fear control us. We have to recognize it when it starts to come in. We have to evaluate, is this a a fear that's from God? Or is this a fear that's from Satan who's trying to control me? And then we make decisions accordingly. I've told you before, I'm not a fan of heights. Now, I don't let that stop me most of the time. I used to do roofs when I had a remodeling company. I have done siding high. When we painted this building many years ago, we we sprayed it down and we primed the outside and we painted the whole outside. Many of you will remember that. We're up on ladders and and uh, uh, these planks between ladders, you know, hanging out there, you know, your feet 15, 20 feet off the ground, just kind of bouncing in the air. I've always been a large man and I'm just praying Jesus to help me not to fall, you know. Uh, I, I usually don't let fear stop me. But it does make me pause, right? I'll be driving down the road, and, and it's not a problem. I'm just driving along, and then we come to a big bridge. And I start to pay a little bit more attention when I'm going over a bridge. Have you noticed that? I, I just start to be a little bit more careful because now we're not going off the ditch. Now we're going to plunge 200 feet down into the icy water. I just start to pay a little bit more attention. And so you have to realize what, what state of fear you're in. Is this fear from God? Is it wise, righteous fear? Or is this a fear that is irrational or something that Satan is trying to use in my life? And I want to show you a few uh, situations here. Uh, Just moving quickly. We're not going to belabor the point, but just moving quickly through the scriptures and show you four responses of fear, what fear begins to do in you. And you can recognize it and say, wait a minute, that's not from God. And you can choose to exercise faith. All right. The, the story we read in Luke chapter 8, verses 20 through 22 through 25, uh, we find the Lord and his disciples entering a ship to cross the Sea of Galilee. This was no big deal. They'd made the journey many times. Most of these men grew up around the sea. They were familiar with sea life. In fact, some of them were professional fishermen. They'd spent countless hours on the water, storms, and, and they knew how to handle a boat. But on this day, they get into the boat. The Lord goes to sleep. Imagine his exhaustion as he's trying to minister to the people, his human exhaustion. And while the Lord is asleep, a storm arises that is so violent, it made these seasoned fishermen fear for their lives. The simple journey across the sea now turned deadly. They didn't think they were going to make it. The boat begins feeling with, filling with water. 
it's tossing and turning and huge waves crashing over the side and it's coming in faster than they can bail it out and they know if the boat capsizes in that rough water they're they're not going to make it and so we pick up the story in verse 23 but as they sailed he that's Jesus fell asleep and there came down a storm of wind on the lake and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Now, wait a minute. The Bible here says they were in danger. There was real danger here. And there's going to be times in your life where you're in real danger. You know, we don't believe this health and wealth gospel that, boy, if you just trust Jesus, you'll never get sick, you'll never be poor, you'll never have a problem, everything's going to be just okay. There are going to be times in your life where you are a razor's edge from death. The Bible says they were in jeopardy. But when they were fearing for their lives, where was Jesus? He was asleep. How could that be? Why such a stark contrast? The storm didn't wake Jesus up. The disciples did. Look at verse 24. And when they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. The Lord Jesus spoke and brought peace in the midst of the storm. Hey, I'm glad that his words still bring peace today. His words can bring peace to the storm of a heart. They can calm the raging winds of doubt and the stormy seas of fear. Our Lord's response to their fear is compelling. Think about the conversation you would have after this. Jesus didn't say, wow, hey guys, that was a tough storm. Man, that was a bad one. Praise God, we made it. Jesus' response was very different. He simply asked them, where's your faith? What an interesting response. They were in jeopardy. The circumstances were terrible. It looked like they were going to die. But Jesus said, where is your faith? Look at verse 25. And he said unto them, where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. So so here's the first result of fear and don't miss this the first result of fear is doubt fear makes you doubt fear makes you question what you know to be true see the disciples were so afraid they forgot who they were in the boat with they didn't stop to consider that this is the son of god in flesh They didn't think about he came to die for the sins of the world. I mean, he's going to save us. No, they were concerned about their flesh, not their souls or their nation. Doubt made them forget everything they knew about Jesus. And see, fear causes us to doubt. They failed to remember that they were supernaturally protected by God until his purpose was finished. They couldn't think about their calling. They couldn't think about the future. 
They couldn't think about God. All they could think of was their fear said, we're going to die. When if they were thinking straight, perhaps they could have looked at the sleeping Jesus and said, you know, if he's not worried, maybe we shouldn't be either. It'll do us a lot of good when fear starts to come in and we begin to doubt. Is God really going to take care of us? Is God really going to, will we really go to heaven? Are we really going to make it? You need to recognize that as from the devil. Look at me now. Doubt doesn't come from God. God wants you to live in faith. Satan wants you to doubt God. God is not trying to get you to doubt Him. He's trying to get you to trust Him. So anytime doubt begins to come in, you can immediately recognize it as that is not from God. That is from the, that, that's from the devil. It's from Satan trying to push a button in my life, pull a lever in my life to take me away from God. The fear changes our thinking if we let it. We will forget all the good things we know and we revert to being a scared little child in our hearts. Hiding under the covers from the monster under the bed or the monster in the closet. Now when you're thinking straight, you're like, there's there's no monster under the bed, there's no monster in the closet. But when you're afraid, he's real. And you have to realize that fear will make you doubt, and doubt isn't from God. Amen? So the number one result of fear is doubt, all right? The second result of fear is depart. Fear causes us to depart. Look at verses 26 uh, through 39 in the same portion of Scripture. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when they went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils a long time and wear no clothes, neither abode he in any house. I heard one preacher say, this was a nude dude in a rude mood. (laughs) There's some alliteration for you, right? He He was a nude dude in a rude mood. Sin will make you crazy. Look at verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes he had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Hey, Satan will always drive you into the wilderness. Satan will always make you crazy. He promises you the world and then takes it away from you. He promises you all the goodness and then leaves you with nothing. And moments of fleeting pleasure cost you everything good in your life. God protect us from his deception. Jesus goes on, what is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command him to go out into the deep. See, Satan uh, Satan is... Subject to Christ, Christ could command these devils to go out into the deep. Verse 32, and there were 
were there and heard of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them or allow them to enter into them, and he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. And when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. This is an amazing story. Here's this man, not just possessed with one devil, but many devils. Clearly, the inhabitants of this region feared this insane man. They tried to put him in jail, he would break out. They tried to bind him with chains, he would break out. They ostracized him, he lived in the cemetery, and they were glad to have him out of their lives. The only reminder is when he would crash through town or the howling at night of this demon-possessed man. And these citizens made the mistake that many Americans make today. They say, it's not my problem. Folks, if you leave a mess alone long enough, it becomes your problem as it grows See, fear caused the people to depart from the man. It's normal to run from fear. We want to remove the situation as far as possible from us. I mean, if we're afraid of something, we want it far away from us. If, if, if we can, we'll run, and if we can't run, we'll try to get it away from us. My wife is afraid of spiders. How many of you ladies are afraid of spiders? All right. Now, I don't like spiders, but I'll be honest with you, I'm a spider killer. I'll, I'll hunt them down. And my wife always says, my wife has never seen a small spider. Every spider's huge. Paul, Paul, there's a huge spider. I go in there, it's like, you know, where? Right there, where? Right there. My wife's got a spider radar. She can detect the smallest speck on the ceiling. There, he's right there. And every spider isn't just big, it's thick. It's big and thick. And so, man, that was a thick spider. And so uh, we want those spiders out of there. And, and you can't convince my wife, no, spiders are good. They, they take care of the house. They kill certain things, you know. No, no, no. There's, fear says, I want you out of my life, right? And so fear does that to us, too. We want to remove the fearful situation as far as possible or we want to run from what we fear and here they have this demon-possessed man just just out of sight out of mind stay away from us you see jesus christ arrives and heals the demon-possessed man then what was the reaction of the citizens were they happy for the man to be healed did they rejoice that the danger was passed look at this verse Verse 35, then they went out to see what was done and it came and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were what? Afraid. Afraid. They were more afraid of the miracle done by Jesus than they were of the demons that possessed him in the first place. Does that make any sense to you? Furthermore. They were more afraid of the miracle worker than they were the demons he banished. Look at verse 37. 
Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him, that's Jesus, to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear. And he went into the ship and returned back again. They were more afraid of Jesus than they were the demon-possessed man. They asked Jesus to leave. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ shows up to Wakefield, working miracles, doing the impossible, and the citizens of Wakefield say, we need you to leave. You scare us. Well, you're not scared of the devils. You're not scared of the sin. You're not scared of the drug dealers and the, 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 all of the other things. No, Jesus, leave us alone. Sin will make you want to depart from God. Fear will make you want to depart from God. And fear will make you want God to depart from you. See, it's one thing to talk about God, but what if God really starts working in your life? What if God really started to speak to you? What if he really came in your life and said, we're going to get busy. I'm going to change you. You know, there's a lot of people that when Jesus comes into their life and says, I'm going to change you for the better, they say, no, Jesus, leave me alone. I would rather be my sinful self then have you work in my life. Why? I'm afraid of what you're going to make me do. If Jesus had this kind of power over the devils, what kind of power would he have had over the citizens? Uh, let me encourage you parents. You know, it's easy for you to say, boy, I want God to work in my kids' hearts. But then what if God calls your son to preach? Whoa, 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 I didn't mean that. How are you going to live? How are you going to take care of yourself? You can't make a living doing that. I've literally had parents say, we don't want our children to do that. Oh, well, I hope God doesn't call my daughter to the mission field. Oh, I hope he doesn't. Boy, I, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes as Christian parents, we want God to work in our kids' hearts enough so they obey us, they don't talk back, they don't get hooked on drugs, and they don't get pregnant. But we don't want God to really work in their lives. We don't want God to really change them. What if God starts working in your child so much where your child says, Daddy, why do you listen to that kind of music? Mommy, why are you watching that on TV? And you know what we'll do? Depart. We don't want that work, Jesus. We don't want you doing that in our lives. And any time fear moves in and says, I'm afraid of what God's going to make me do. Some of you won't surrender because you're afraid of what God's going to make you do. Every single person in the room ought to write God a blank check with your life. God, I'll do anything. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do where you want me to do. I'll give what you want me to give. My life is not mine. But you know why we don't do that? I'm afraid what God might require of me. You know what we say? Fear makes you say, no, Jesus. No, Jesus, not that. No, Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus, stop speaking to me. And you know what you find about the Lord here in this verse? Is if you ask Jesus to leave, he just might. 
And that's the scariest thing of all. If, G if God hasn't talked to you in a while, boy, that's not normal. You need to go to God and say, Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to my heart. And so we see the, the departure. Look at verse 43. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years and had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him, that's Jesus, and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched or stopped, dried up. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. Verse 47, And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared all before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she, had, she was healed immediately. And he said of her daughter, Be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. So here we see this lady. She was healed, but she drew back. This troubled woman had suffered for many years. She spent all of her money in search of a cure. She had traveled to countless doctors to be healed, and nobody could heal her. She spent all her money. She had no hope, but she heard Jesus of Nazareth was coming to town. And she just believed in her heart. She thought, boy, if, if I could just get close to Jesus, I mean, he's, he's healing the blind. He's making the lame to walk. He's making the deaf to hear and the mute to talk. If I can just get close enough to touch the bottom of his garment, I think he has so much power he would heal me. And you know what? She was right. Her faith made her whole. But her response to healing is surprising. She didn't jump for joy. She didn't shout praises. She was afraid. You know, sometimes it's scary when God moves powerfully in our lives. And this lady was healed, but she was fearful and trembling when Jesus turned around and said, Who touched me? We see the Lord's response. The Lord wasn't angry at her faith, but he commended her. And so we see the results of fear. Fear will cause us to doubt. Fear might cause us to depart. No, Jesus, leave me alone. Jesus, stop working. I, I don't want that. I, I don't want you to work in my life. I want to be saved, but just no more. And anytime you get that feeling, that's not from God. It's from the devil. But wait, here's another level of fear. Fear will make you draw back. You, you say, well, fear doesn't make me want to run away from Jesus. I mean, I still want Jesus to work, but you pull back from God. You sense God moving and you pull back. I remember when I was getting called to preach, I, I fought the Lord for about six months. I began to draw back from God because I was fearful of what he was asking me to do. I mean, praying that God would work in my life. And all of a sudden when he did, I began to draw back. Maybe God begins to convict you to start soul winning more. And I mean, really putting the pressure on you. God begins working in your life. And, and instead of surrendering, you begin to pull back. God really starts working on you about your giving and you begin to pull back. God really starts to work on you about, about some sin in your life and some sin that you ought to stop that you know is wrong or, or, or something in your life that you ought to start that you know is right. And we begin to pull back. See, most Christians don't run away from God. They just draw back. We call it being backslidden. We just pull back. They're still in church. 
but they're not all in. They're just here. They'll show up. Their heart's not in it. You can tell they don't sing during the song service. They don't pray when it's time to pray. They're looking around. They're, during the preaching, you could tell their mind's a million miles away. They'd just rather be somewhere else. It's, they don't volunteer for anything. They don't do anything to help the work of God. But they're here. And let me tell you something. Fear will make you pull back. That's never from God. Never from God. Fear will make you doubt. It's never from God. Fear will make you depart. It's never from God. Fear will make you draw back. It's never from God. You will never do wrong by, by walking towards the Lord. You will always do wrong by pulling away from Him. Now let me say lastly here, this thought. Look at verse 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come to his house, for he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. So imagine the excitement of Jairus when the master agrees to come to his house and heal his only child, a a 12-year-old daughter. But then I want you to relive his pain as Jairus and the Lord start, start walking quickly toward his house. I imagine the urgency in Jairus. His, Jairus his, his daughter's literally on the deathbed. She might have moments. And Jesus agrees to come. And I, I sense his excitement. But then I, I also relive his pain and frustration as the crowd comes and begins to hinder the progress of Christ. And Christ has to walk slowly through the crowd. And, and then this lady gets healed and and I'm sure Jairus is like, lady, I'm glad you got healed, but my, my baby's dying. And, and we, we got to get, get home. We, we got to get to my baby. And as Jesus is just finishing up with this lady, getting ready to head back towards Jairus' house, a servant comes and says, don't trouble the master any further. Your daughter's dead. I want you to feel the crushing blow. I want you to feel the pain of this instantly grieving father. Can you sense his frustration that they didn't make it in time? Will you consider the crushing despair that rested upon him at that moment? She's gone. His only baby. She's gone. I imagine him there in the middle of that dusty road. His shoulders slump, his face just with a look of shock and eyes pouring with tears. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. But Jesus speaks to him. And look at verse 49. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. Look at what Jesus said. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him. He he turned to Jairus, saying, Fear not. Believe only, and she shall be made whole. Fear not. You see, one of the results of fear is despair. Despair. 
Despair means hopelessness. It means a loss of hope. All hope's gone. Now, folks, we all know when somebody dies, they're not coming back. Oh, unless Jesus is around. And Jesus turned to him and said, Be not afraid. Believe only. And she shall be made whole. Could it be that this man who could heal the sick could raise the dead also? See, Jesus asked Jairus to believe in spite of his fear, in spite of despair, in spite of what Jairus knew, Jairus knew about medicine, in spite of what he knew about uh, death. Jesus said, fear not, believe only. You say, well, did Jairus believe him? He believed him enough to keep walking towards the house. And if Jairus is like most of us, he could say with the Lord, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. Lord, I've got some faith. I've got a whole lot of doubt. And despair is the absence of hope. But Jesus shows up and once again, he does the impossible. He raises the dead. How happy these parents must have been. How quickly God turned their sadness into joy. But wait a minute, I want you to, as we finish, I want you to imagine a different scenario. Jairus just gets the news. He's crushed with disappointment. He's in despair. And Jesus says, be not afraid, believe only. What if Jairus had a different attitude? What if he allowed his grief and despair to overcome his faith? What if Jairus turned to Jesus and said, it's too late! What if Jairus blamed Jesus for not showing up in time? What if he lost it and said, you know what, if you hadn't stopped in this throng, my daughter would be alive. If you hadn't helped that lady, my daughter would be alive. My baby's gone and it's your fault. See, despair makes you say dumb things. Despair makes you act foolishly. But faith is stronger than despair. Anytime, don't miss this, anytime you start to feel hopeless, that's not from God. When you feel like there's no way forward, that's not from God. And so we've learned four things about fear. We've learned four things that Fear will try to do in our lives that, that will take us away from God. We've learned that fear causes doubt, and doubt's not from God. Fear causes people to depart, saying, Jesus, leave. God, leave me alone. That's not from God. Fear causes people to draw back. Okay, God, you know, I, I'm not leaving, but just, just don't ask me that. And, and, and we just pull back. That's not from God. And despair is not from God. And as we close, we learn that all of these stories teach us one magnificent truth. Our response to fearful situations should be faith. But I doubt faith. But I want to run faith. Okay, I'm, I just got to pull back. I just got to process this. No, faith. I don't see any way forward. Faith. 
Doesn't matter what the doctor says, faith. Doesn't matter what, what, what someone else does, faith. It doesn't matter what you see and what you hear, faith. It doesn't matter if you're really, truly in danger, faith. Because the just shall live by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the truth from your word. We ask that you would use thy word to give us hope. Thank you for teaching us about what fear tries to do in us and how Satan uses it and how these things are not from God. But we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us, help us to live by faith. Boy, we know Satan's good at his job. We talked about him this morning and about the origin of sin, and we understand his deceitful power. But, Father, protect us. Protect thy children. We're weak. We're frail. We can do nothing without you. But Lord, we pray that you'd protect us and help us to see fear for what it is and to exercise faith in the face of fear, whatever name or shape it may take in our lives. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want you to pause for a moment. What fear in your life is causing you trouble right now? What fear are you tripping over? For some of you, it's financial. You've got some real serious financial things. I mean, serious. Bills aren't getting paid. I mean, it's real. But don't, don't make decisions in fear. Choose faith. Some of you have relational issues that are real and it's scary. Choose faith. You don't have to be afraid of people. You don't have to be afraid of situations and circumstances. You can fear God. Some of you have worries in the unknown and possibilities that are terrifying. Waiting on uh, what a doctor is going to say. Waiting on uh, a situation to, to form and you don't even know what to expect. You don't have to wait in fear. You can wait in faith. Would you take that fear right now that's plaguing you? That's bothering you? Would you identify it? See if it's from God or not. And if it's not from God, reject it. And say, I, I know I feel fear, but I choose faith. And ask God to help you. Fear not, but believe only. Father, help us as we choose to follow you. We choose to serve you. We choose to love you. We live in some scary times. But Lord, thank you that you're still on the throne. Nothing surprises you that everything's okay in heaven and that you are firmly in control of our lives. Help us to not live in fear, but by faith. And when, when fear does start to come, help us to recognize it, reject it, and exercise faith. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus.